0: Little pod of pegwood mount, how oft we hear thee swear. More words profane than we can count, tossed off like ye don't care. It must be all the alcohol imbibed during the show. You ramble on and get things wrong, too drunk to even know. <clears throat>
1: Still shit. Your merry listeners let nothing you dismay. Remember Peggy
0: Mount Pop great for Christmas Day.
1: And that melt into the two runnies theme is better than Viagra. I wouldn't actually say it was a melt, it was more of a car crash.
0: But this nine and a half minute segment they've done for Christmas night with the stars it is is shite, isn't it?
1: It's painful. It's paid Thank you. Good, good. Ladies and gentlemen, Silla Black. Here we go, here we go again. Yeah. First question what What's the vote? woman got on? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what she's got on. Half a fucking it, Blake Seven set.
0: It looks like a deflated souffle made out of used Christmas crackers. <laughs>
1: Right. Hello and welcome to the third and final Peggy Mount Calamity Hour Christmas special. Because punch my pudding and rattle my radio times. It's Christmas Eve. I'm Dr. Velvet. I'm Blackout. And I'm Ozzy Bognops, emerging from the Understairs cupboard. And we're here to mull over something more than wine from the lighter box. In the corner of the room.
0: Yes, hello you, and thanks for joining us for our casual cultural critique of Christmas television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, because here, all bells jingle up the mountain. If you go over to PeggyMountPod.com, info and links for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes, you can find us on the socials, get in touch with wishes a merry one, or suggest how many candles we should put in our advent crown. And before we begin commanding woodland creatures to hypnotically smash glass baubles, gentlemen, I've got to ask, what are we drinking? Well, again...
1: Staying with the Christmas cocktail à la nice places in London theme, this one comes to me, so I'm told, from Selfridges. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, it's t- it's time to get shaking, lump. And can I, by the way, can I point out? I haven't mentioned this before in the previous two episodes. It is of course lump who's been stood by me, shaking the cocktails like a good'un. So thank you to uh, to Lump for that. Um, Merry
0: Christmas,
1: Miss. I'm drinking a Bailey's Flat White Martini. There you go. Keeping it relatively simple.
0: Do tell, what's in that?
1: 50ml of Bailey's Irish Cream, Mm -hmm. 25ml of Espresso. Now, I've opted for an own brand from Daphne's Coffee Shop in Erinsborough. And 25ml of vodka with some ice. Simple and delicious. Mr Bognops, your good self Port! I mean, you know Are you on commission? (laughs) I am drinking a bottle of Nailer's Select Reserve Port And basically it's the only one that comes in a pint bottle Um, So I've got uh, half a dozen of them laid on So it comes in a pint bottle Uh, Is this because you don't get a milkman, you get a portman? I do get a portman indeed I do and her name's Natalie and she's really nice and blackouts my good man your good self?
0: well I'm taking it all school to the days of being allowed to stay up and watch late night telly at my grandparents house over Christmas with a cheeky bottle of QC sherry oh
1: blended work years since I've had QC years QC quality counts absolutely oh I love it I love it or quickly comatose as me dad used to call it (laughs) <laughs> i love that i love that and, yeah and i know why <laughs> <laughs> okay well i'm um i'm quite relaxed which is uh, which is good because now i'm in the mood for the first of tonight's delicacies gentlemen so while we immerse in as much seasonal atmos as we can at this time of year what says christmas more than a robotic egg with legs playing the fiddle <laughs>
0: ludwig was a popular series of 25 short cartoons created in 1977 which followed the titular character a sort of crystalline robot egg as it went about its daily business in the forest where it lived interacting with the woodland creatures and playing the music of beethoven after whom the character and the series is named all of these magical shenanigans are seen through the eyes of a bird watcher voiced by john Glover, who enjoys watching secretly through his binoculars and whose narration is the only voice we hear for our festive delectation, we've watched the 17th episode, Christmas, in which the inhabitants of the forest go about decorating a tree for the first time. Ah, Ludwig.
1: Charming, beautiful. Love the score of this, and I had no idea who Beethoven was when I first saw it, although I think it was probably its first repeat. But I love the score, and because I was partial to the odd bit of musical performance in my uh, youthage, and my dad kept mm-hmm. saying, Well, you keep practicing, Bonnie Ladd, and you'll be playing that fine. A flute, a horn, a string quartet, none of which I played. Yeah. I played the yeah. trombone. It's just warm this, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Interesting you mentioned John Glover, because he was he had a very diverse career. Because I mean he started out as a, a a continuity announcer for the BBC. Um and then he went on to um, acting, he did Ludwig, of course, and then he ended up with uh, Spitting Image, if I remember rightly. He's got a lovely voice. Absolutely charm and warm. Proper storytelling voice. Yeah.
0: That is the word mine, because I never really used to watch this um, when I was a kid. At uh-huh. five minutes, it didn't seem quite long enough to be able to really sort of get into the lack of dialogue. It wasn't like any other cartoons that I liked. Mm-hmm. I watch it now, and yeah, it is charming as fuck. Mm-hmm. Which is probably why I didn't appeal. It was when I was like, you know, little. It's it's no Space Sentinels or Battle of the Planets, is it?
1: It's not. But for some reason, it's. I latched onto this as a kid, and for years right. later, I'd, I'd forgotten. It escaped my memory, and then I thought, oh, what was that egg thing? Yeah. And I stumbled upon it. I always saw this of a morning. It was always a morning, and I think it was Sunday mornings when I used to see ah. this interesting cuz for mm-hmm. me it was the 5 minutes after blue peter before the news right so it okay. was it was the perishers fred bassett slot uh-huh. will o the wisp slot and ludwig was one of those
0: sure um, now you bring up a, a what could be a major controversy here this series began airing on monday the 20th of june 1977 and yeah it ran daily at 5:35 in the afternoon monday to friday So by the time we get to Tuesday the 12th of July, where episode 17 should air, this one, right, it's not listed on the BBC Genome website. It just goes straight from Playaway at 10 past 5 to the Evening News at 20 to 6. Now, the episode titles aren't listed on the Genome site. It continues running again from Wednesday onwards. So do we assume they ran this anywhere or do you think they might have saved it actually for Christmas?
1: I reckon they saved it. They must have saved it.
0: Because the other thing is... They say in this episode, well John Glover says there's going to be a party and that they're going to decorate one of the trees, mm. but no one says it's Christmas. No, they are right. Christmas baubles but they're, and they're not putting them on a pine tree or anything they're just sticking them on like a normal tree yeah. and the bird watcher doesn't bring it up. He's just there watching all this happen as if it's completely normal behaviour.
1: And True. there's not a flake of snow on the ground. True, yeah. and I mean apart from all of that gentlemen, the rather large crystalline elephant in the room is there is so much to unpack about this world. You know, yeah. An an egg with legs, a, a robotic egg with legs, <laughs> yeah. and a load of animals that all speak and understand each
0: other. I'm fine with that for cartoons in general. You know, that, that's all right. A
1: mechanical ovoid that can function anywhere and is constantly stalked by a man in tweeds with binoculars. A, a, a mechanical egg that has no eyes or mouth or ears.
0: I like to think it's the presence of Ludwig that means that all of these animals can communicate with each other. It's like mm. he's bringing the magic.
1: That's probably what the bird watcher's having a look at, you know, apart yeah. from anything else, you know.
0: That's not what he was out for originally. You know, there's an <laughs> an <laughs> colony just behind the trees.
1: Yeah. I feel sorry for the birds because they're trying to stop the bell ringing and it's not made a sound yet, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I felt a bit for them there because um, they were clearly confused, but they solved the problem by holding the clapper. And that's a problem we've all faced at some time in our life. We were talking about when it was aired and not aired controversially. The question I have is, what age do we think this was pitched at? Because Fred Bassett was sort of older kids with a tiny little pay on to, you know, like a like a pay into children. Um, The Perishers was very definitely for kids. This was it for young kids, because you know, trying to introduce them to the music of Beethoven is a little bit right on for the mid seventies. I'd
0: say, I would say the younger end definitely because it hasn't got a lot of dialogue in it so everything's visual
1: yeah sure sure
0: but when it first started it was on straight after play away who's watching that
1: yeah you know, that's right. for
0: like that's not for 14 year olds who just come in from school
1: yeah the could- thing is this couldn't have been introduced from the broom cupboard you know the later generation it, it, it just yeah, wouldn't yeah. have fitted at all mm-hmm. correct yeah
0: and as for Beethoven I don't think it's necessarily about trying to it is introducing kids to Beethoven but not in a showy way it's about making Beethoven normal
1: and the thing is I love how Paul Reed who arranged the music used it it wasn't you're going to sit and earnestly listen to Mm -hmm. five minutes of a movement from from one of the quartets or something he uses five notes or he uses three bars or just something that's even the accompaniment to a tune you never hear I think that's ingenious in its own right yeah that's absolutely lovely but it also carries the magic three words Out of copyright <laughs> <laughs> Every time Every time My only negative point about this Is, uh, and it's, just, it's purely From a narrative perspective um, Our little Twitcher in the bushes there With his binoculars hmm. He's full of you know despondence Such as, uh, you'll never do this, you'll never do that When the animals are trying to get things sorted out I'll Tell you what, instead of flapping your lips Go and help them <laughs> if he didn't stand on them, I mean, let's get a sense of proportion here. Well, That's a grown, huge man in of that. later years. Uh, he'd stand on one of those birds, given how tall they are next to the tree. <laughs> there is that. I tell you what, I did love about this episode, though. Actually, we saw frig all of Ludwig. So it's very me, true. Um, he's even more. <laughs> he's even more of a mystery in oh, this. Oh, he's enigmatic, yeah. all right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a kid, I always thought this dragged. It really dragged on. Not so now. In fact, the bloody thing had only just started and it had finished. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's absolutely right. There you go. Ludwig, gentlemen. Mm. Blackout. How many pegs would you stick upon a mechanical ovoid should he approach you in the woods and present you with his fiddle?
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, Ludwig is short. It's sweet. It's a cosy place to be. I would like it if more actually happened, but that doesn't stop me appreciating the work that's gone into what we get. Seven out of nine.
1: Absolutely fair. Mr. Bognops? Well, uh, I simply wrote three words. Charming, brief, calm. Five out of nine. Because I'm also with uh, Blackout insofar as not enough happened for me Um, and in this five minutes. It could have been packed a bit better, but somehow... Mm -hmm. Its charm was simply that, but for me, five out of nine. Again, fair, fair. How about yourself, Doctor? Seven, and that's purely based on emotion. Ludwig takes me back to dark, rainy Sunday mornings, clearly the repeat showing, with the smell of bacon cooking after a rousing autumnal game of Catch the Greasy Pig, and the prospect of playing with toys for the entire day. The show itself is trapped in a cosy little world all of its own, and I can absolutely relate to that. Yeah, seven. Excellent score. Excellent, excellent reasoning. Excellent score.
0: But the real question, the one that people have actually started writing in the bottom of Christmas cards that they send to us, is how many steps, Doctor Velvet, would it take you to yodel up the Christmas mountain?
1: I could do this in a fab four. <laughs> was co-written by jane tan who appeared in a number of geysers in Z cars next to joss ackland who was in 1982's escape to the west alongside patricia Brake, who of course starred in going straight which featured an appearance by lally bowers who of course played the incomparable dolly in you're only young twice with hanging on <laughs> Well, it's quite simple. A 20 pound turkey, fresh, not frozen, and double giblets. Splendid, splendid work, splendid
0: work. Lovely job, lovely. Hi,
1: thank you. What about you, Mr. Blackout, sir?
0: I can do it in three. Ludwig is narrated by John Glover, who lent his vocal tones to 1989's The Tall Guy, with Tim Barlow, who appeared in Too Many Chefs next to. Robert Morley, who starred in the 1966 film Hotel Paradiso with Peggy Mount. Well, she can't. She broke all her
1: animals in the summer when she had a farmyard on the lawn. Splendid work.
0: Oh, love it. And I'm sort of guessing that Mr. Ozzy Bognops is going to show us right up now.
1: Highly unlikely, but I can do it in two. <laughs> is produced by Peter Lang, who was an animator on Pigeon Street, narrated by George Layton, who suavely rocked up in 1980's Night of 100 Stars with... Peggy Mount. Not that stuff you have to be so very careful with. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Very good indeed. Excellent work. Just like Ludwig, short and sweet. There you go. And that's that for the very brief first half of the podcast. We're back with a universe of twinkling talent. After the Christmas things...
0: I'll never forget the Christmas. We won a turkey in the raffle. It was July before we had to feed the cat again. Luckily, Santa left me a jar of thick, creamy Hellmans. best Christmas ever. Grand said if Dad ate any more turkey, he'd end up looking like one. <laughs> Hellmans, don't save it for the summer. There's a jingle in the air, Dazda. All the gifts have arrived. Amstrad Personal Stereos, 1095. Good old Asda Price. BMX bikes, $59.95, a really good price. And now, Asda strikes back. Star Wars Millennium Falcons, 19 So go on, give him an Asda Christmas and put a jingle in your pocket. Give him something he really wants this Christmas. Old Spice.
1: Last of the Christmas things for this year. One shall miss the Christmas things.
0: I sure hope I get one of those things for Christmas tomorrow.
1: Uh, Yes. We want them things. There's plenty to choose from. Well, there really is. I do love choice. At Christmas. Yeah, choice. I do love choice. Choice. Yeah, yeah, By yeah, the yeah, way, yeah. gentlemen, because I've mm-hmm. been living in squalor under this, uh, in your uh, understairs cupboard with, with Penelope yeah. Keith and half a bottle of sherry um, because you'd run out of port, I had to bring me on. Hang on a second, squalor. What are you talking about? There's a Bruins peg bag in there. What more do you want? A Brune's peg bag. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Penelope Keith decided to wear it on her head. Nicely dodged. Uh, quite. Nicely dodged. Um, but on the subject of choice, gentlemen, um you know yeah. we're all here tomorrow we're all coming yes. in uh, we've had the radio times which unusually this year appears to have a spine never had a spine in my day when it was the double issue um <laughs> but i just want to know you know if we've all been through it and uh, made our choices as what we're going to record tomorrow uh, or indeed what we're going to watch we've been through it all right we certainly have So, Dr Velvet, what's your highlighter encircling? I've got it marked. Blackout, can you find... Are you looking through Christmas Day? Have a look. There we go. So, uh, 4 o'clock. BBC 4. Okay. I'll have to be honest. I am on the edge of my seat to watch this. It's a recently rediscovered pilot episode of a reality show that was made in 1998 uh, that Auntie Beeb decided to air... They're going to air it as part of a Christmas telly that never was seasoned, especially on BBC4, which I think is really interesting. Uh, It does indeed star Dame Mount and comedy stalwart S. Pollard. And they're sitting in a skip that is transported via various diverse methods from Skegness to the North Pole, surviving only on a bag of crisps and cans of cider over a period of two days, in time to meet Santa. Amazing. So, look out for When Peg and Sue Got Carried, cos I'm going to really enjoy that. <laughs> when Peg and Sue Got Carried.
0: Amazing, I am there. Definitely. Goes all the
1: way, no doubt about that. All the way. Bogknops, so what are you going to watch? Right, well, I've got the video plus code for this, but it's quite a long one. It's on BBC Uh Two. It's from 7.30 to 9.45pm. And Mm -hmm. it says here in small print, because you're getting two and a quarter hours and you'll fucking well like it. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is Shatterproof Jan Leeming Night. Um, It's celebrating highlights from her career, interspersed with Kenneth Kendall bending rulers whilst bending over the news desk wearing a (laughs) basque. Then one snaps and hilarity ensues for Ken and Jan. Mm -hmm which you'll never see because the tape runs out at that very point and they bung on another fucking episode of Coast. <laughs> and, and the video plus code is 99999992.
0: Excellent. I'm, I'm definitely there for that, if I'm yeah, still conscious. all the
1: way. All, yeah, well, all the way. You do need a sherry for that one. Blackout, what about you? I'm looking forward to this.
0: Uh, mine is BBC One, 10 past two. So oh, right, front line right, front line. Right before the king. Uh Noel's Christmas peasants. It's Right. The ex crossroads star Noel Gordon hosts a televised mince pie party to catch up with all the people she successfully sued to the point of bankruptcy this year. Music from <laughs> Born M. <AM. laughs>
1: I am I am there. Do you know what? This is gonna be a day of veritable televisual treats. Ah oh. and jam Leeming. <laughs> well, gentlemen, that's our viewing sorted. Uh, for tomorrow, but more importantly, <clears throat> is the events of this evening. So, our next outing, I have to say, has been frankly agog. Seldom do we encounter such a cavalcade of celebrity in one sitting. And there's much to discuss, so let us waste not a moment as we spend a Christmas night with the stars. <laughs>
0: Yes, Christmas Night with the Stars was a BBC One variety show which ran most years from 1958 to 72, featuring special festive sketches from the year's most popular sitcoms, as well as dance and musical numbers from the BBC Stable of Light Entertainment. We've watched the final edition of its main run from 1972, as the two Ronnies host the evening, throwing in a couple of their own pieces and introducing Lulu, Cilla Black, The Young Generation, as well as pre-recorded items from Mike Yarwood, The Liverbirds, The Goodies and the crew of Dad's Army.
1: First off the belt, all I'm going to say is this. Loving the theme tune, and that melt into the two Ronnies theme is better than Viagra. I wouldn't actually say it was a melt. It was more of a car crash. It's like, how do we get... How do we get... How, are Ron, Here's how do the we get into it? Let's change down in a second. Oh, look, two things that are entirely different, speeds, keys and, and feelings. Let's just join them together with this copy decks that I've found in the loft. That's the point. It it was so bad. It was good.
0: Aussie, you have to bear in mind this is now a throwback to the days when me and Doctor Velvet were in a band and that's how we'd put our set list together.
1: There you yeah. are. <laughs> uh, it was it was when the, it was when your set ended the second week. I was thinking, okay, this is, <laughs> I, I can get on with this. Yeah. My question oh. right, well, my point to you is, yeah, all right, Sig Tune, animation. The animation's quite basic. Cheap. but it Yeah. It yeah. does feel like it sets a bit of a theme in the fact that pre-records aside, it's quite scrappy for the BBC in its fiftieth year, um, and also Agreed. its thirty-sixth year of television broadcasting. It was yeah. quite—it came as quite a surprise, particularly when you've got perfectionists like um, Ronnie Barker involved. You know that—that that just came mm-hmm. as a bit of a surprise to me. I do love. Uh, the Obviously they've got a blue screen behind them Just as part of the set And the Christmas tree that they're transposing onto there That is a proper 70s Christmas tree mm-hmm.
0: It is, mm-hmm. it is Absolute fire hazard, it's gorgeous
1: Fire hazard, yeah, yeah. And I was surprised that it actually didn't have any Homemade or school made Christmas decorations hanging from it Like everybody else's did at that point
0: So we open with those two at their, sort of at their news desk You know, like the, the very standard Two standard. Ronnie's standard intro Standard Ronnie's they go yeah. through a few you know sort of a bunch of full news items um, which aren't as good as the later
1: ones i think Nah, no nah, they're not they're a couple of shaky ones but some yeah, of them are know. all right yeah. and also it was was Ronnie Corbett's auto queue running a bit slow because he was doing what the slow kid did in our class at school when he gets to the end of a line and then he goes to the next line and then he says something <laughs> like The joke goes like this. It just felt very stilted. I know the two Ronys had been on for a year um, by this point, so they'd had plenty of time to hone the art. However, it did feel a tiny little bit ploddy, even by their standards.
0: We'll get on to this later, but I am under the impression that all of this was done on our first take.
1: Without a doubt. And I've already said we'll probably come to this a little bit later, but I suspect that there's been something... Approaching industrial action, that's maybe forced it to have to be in one take, but I can't find any evidence to the fa- uh, to support that fact. We move on to from the news item to again another standard from uh, the two runs, uh, a standard party sketch, mm-hmm. dinner party sketch. Um, I'm loving Barker's tie, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering about that. Yeah, yeah, it is for me the the strongest part of the sketch, actually. It's the funniest part, no doubt. Not the best, is it?
0: I mean, the premise is it's basically two party guests misunderstanding each other over... Was it just like over vampires and then a murder? Yes. That feels like the general sort of thrust of it. One just keeps going into panicking about being scared of vampires. Then the other one Mm. starts talking about... uh, Is it his wife is murdered or something? And then it turns out they're both joking. Then the sketch ends. It's sort of decent enough thanks to their performances. But yeah, the writing feels really like filler. There's a reason this didn't go out in their regular show, I think.
1: That's an interesting point. I wonder if the news items had a similar sort of feel. Because the two Ronnies did go up to Christmas, didn't they? Weren't they always in the autumn season because it was the one that would draw the most viewers?
0: In my memory in my memory of childhood they were but that was well after this
1: back in the back in the days days um, it was always you know the two Ronnies were through the autumn and then they'd have the boxing day slot didn't they that's uh, right because Monk and wise have christmas day yeah yeah so all right not the best two runny sketch but my goodness um the bad cannot outweigh the goods that those two gentlemen have bestowed upon us here, certainly here. not here here um but uh, we move on to uh, a little bit of a musical number and i'll tell you what I'll tell you what, that lassie from Glasgow has dined out on that fucking song for the whole of her adult life. (laughs) But, you see, I don't think she's actually dined out on it. It's the young generation in black shirts and flares and the girls have butterflies on their T-shirts. Is this some sort of weird um, female organ analogy or am I just reading too much into it after a couple of bottles of cooking...? I don't know. But then it's like, shout out for Lulu, and she looks fucking delighted to be reminded of the only major hit she'd ever had. Yeah. Exactly this. She looks absolutely stottened. The look on her face, mind. (laughs) She did not want that in the show, you can tell. Hmm. You can tell. And, and, just to show her temper, all throughout... That choreography that's going on throughout the whole thing—she dances like she's being poked up the jenk with a snooker cue, and she's doing it on purpose. She's doing it on purpose. Was it chalked?
0: Small point of note: the dance troupe that we got on here are the Young Generation. Now they, they were are. absolutely huge during the 60s and the 70s. One of their yeah. later members was Jeff Richard. Mm-hmm who, of course, we know from uh, Jeff Rich's first edition back on the Summertime Special.
1: Indeed, and also Nigel Lithgow, Nasty Nigel, who was also Uh a judge of the disco dance and competition on the ITV one. There Um, we go. And unbelievable as it may seem, a couple of years prior, one very famous member of the Young Generation was a certain Leslie Judd.
0: Yeah, fair play. I've got the Eunice Stubbs in there, but I did not know Leslie Judd was. There we go.
1: I feel left out that I wasn't (laughs) in Young Generation. I will say one thing about Lulu uh, singing My Father's House, which was a great hit for the Edwin Hawkins singers. Absolutely amazing. Um, it just reminds me how soulful her voice is. Really good. She's really got good colour to how she sings it.
0: Come and go with me
1: to my father's house, to my father's house. There'll be
0: no crying.
1: main thing is at least she's showing that she's an independent individual um this is true
0: so this is this whole segment is like proper 1960 shit isn't it i know this is 72 when this airs but this is like by the time the hippie movement has been thoroughly absorbed into the mainstream and it's now just their entertainment
1: and it's yep. quite clear that the set is just a shade too small for the dancers, as there's quite a few traffic problems, because it probably yeah. was take one. But <laughs> it is the traditional BBC, rostra and dance space setup. But it's yeah. not very festive, though, and come to think of it, nothing has been yet. Hold your horses. Holding them. Here we go. The goodies. Here they are. <sighs> They're up next. And we do get presented with absolute typical fare from these lads at that time
0: now this is a pre-recorded vt segment and obviously the way it plays out it has to be pre-recorded because there's a lot of their uh, sort of trademark speed up footage yeah that's yeah. fine yes jim franklin um,
1: at his at his pompous best absolutely amazing visual gags and they were absolutely up for them
0: this segment runs for about seven and a half minutes and i get the impression it took about three days to make
1: yeah and i thoroughly enjoyed every minute of this I guess if you if you actually had sound in it, I reckon the boy would have quite a pleasing baritone voice by the end of it. <laughs> as it took yeah. But at this point, the goodies were doing, pr- uh, between series, they were doing inserts for Engelbert and the Young Generation. This looks to mm-hmm. me like it's sort of part of that, and they just happen to have made yeah. a Christmas one and shoved it in here. Very possibly, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Me this too. is them. They're in their prime here. Um, they, they're going for it. Absolutely. I mean, the, the yeah. quality of the music and so much of it, and Bill Oddie has actually said this in the past. Uh, you know, I wrote some bloody good songs, and they were all stuffed right to the back of the soundtrack. But uh, he also wrote right. some silly music, which used to make me really laugh. The thing that makes me laugh and actually made me cry with laughing watching this was Tim Brooke Taylor being squashed by a giant bell. I know it's in the credits of the goodies series, but it mm-hmm. just made me laugh out loud in a way I don't think I've laughed for a while. This is what the goodies do best. It's inventive, it's taking an absurd premise, and they're visualising this absurdity, and they're doing it very well. They don't take themselves seriously. It's just silly Christmas stupidity. This was well done and well placed. I welcome this with open arms. And also, it's, it's, it's a, something for the kids. If you think about it, up until now, it's been quite adult-led entertainment, and I don't mean rude or yeah, yeah. or anything, or controversial. No, It's no. just it was adult jokes. So something for the yeah. kids, at this point, has to have scored heavily for family audiences.
0: See, I think it's about time I stepped in and soured the mood. Uh, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I do, I seriously admire the amount of time and work that's gone into the goodies segment here. It's got plenty mm-hmm. of sight gags. It's got a very nice circular structure to it you know the whole thing sort of comes round and you know it brings you back to where it was Uh, yep love it love it it's just a shame because I didn't think it was that great I don't think the goodies really work in the context of a variety show full of things which aren't the goodies I could have handled half an hour of this (laughs) Uh okay but I sort of There was a thing on TV a few years back. It was either like a reunion or like a goodies night, or I don't know. I'm sort of sat down and I'm thinking, it feels as to me, obviously only to me, as the years go on, like my memory of the goodies is better than the actuality of the goodies.
1: As anybody will have bought the box set and thought, I was just going to say this. I'm going to sit and watch all of this and think how hilarious it was. Yep. And after the first disc, I had to turn it off. I thought, I can't I can't equate this to what the, the animal thrill it used to give me as a kid watching this stuff. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely that. I'll tell you where the goodies fall down, and this is not a critique of the goodies. We know that. Let's get carried away. But I think their studio-bound dialogues uh, in their programmes is where it falls down a little bit. Right. Um, but when you've got this, this pure visual humour... They, they're cracking. They do it so, so, so well. And they were really uh, me pushing wrong. the
0: boundaries, too. I do like that it's yeah. in there, because it mm-hmm. more than makes up for what comes next.
1: Yeah, so The Liverbirds. Well, I have to admit, uh, this is not a sitcom that I've ever... Well, sorry, this is not a sitcom. No, I I've never been a fan of this, and I've never had an urge to go and revisit this. I am a fan of many, many sitcoms from this era. This has never... Beckoned me. Yeah, it was slightly
0: That's... before my time. I think when I was little, so I've Same. again, as Same. a result, I've never really seen that much. Um, but this nine and a half minute segment they've done for Christmas Night with the Stars It is shite, isn't it?
1: It's painful. It's painful. Thank you. Good, good. I mean, I watched, <laughs> I remember watching the later series, which had different people in it all together and Neris Hughes. Um, and it, then it had gone all completely full Carla Lane, you know, uh, rights for yeah. women and all the rest of it. But I thought, okay, maybe, as as Dr. Velvet said, give it a chance. You know, it's early days, because it only started in 71. Right. So this is, again, like the two Ronnies. Only a year into it. Let's give well, it a go bear and in see mind. how it's it on is. on here
0: because The Live Birds is successful. That's why it's got this slot. They knew they were writing for the Christmas special. This isn't something they got phoned about in the last week of November.
1: I never knew a single person who said they liked the Liver birds. It right. was just on. You know, it was uh, like okay. a Parkinson Cowan gas fire in a in a council house. It was just all on.
0: We're gonna get letters now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the only highlight to this was Molly Sugden.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And not because of what she was saying. I was just pleased to see her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly this. Um and I will
1: say, Neris Hughes doesn't get a single funny line in this. Not
0: one. Well, Neres Hughes is slightly annoying, but Polly James is just flat-out infuriating.
1: mm mm-hmm. Agreed.
0: But, yeah, I think, ultimately, I've got to put this down to Carla Lane. Um, I do remember enjoying the first series of Bread before it became, like, a mawkish soap opera with a laugh track running over the top for no reason.
1: Mm. Absolutely that. Yes. Well, that's what Agreed. most of her things came became. Right. Butterflies, you know, all the stuff, all that stuff.
0: And then, yeah, both of the the main characters, they'll just take turns in doing that thing where they start speaking lines which run for an unnaturally long time while just staring into the middle distance. Mm. They're not talking to yeah. each other. They're not talking to the audience. They're not talking to the camera. It's this, like, horrible, aspirational Amdram theatre bollocks, yeah. which implies... Yes. It just implies that this, as a sitcom, has ideas above its station, I think.
1: <laughs> and that's why it's not called Harold Pinter Night with the Stars. <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly that. Exactly that. Uh, Good Lord. It, I'm just pleased that we are then rescued by, well, the male legs and core in tank tops. Um, yes, we're back to some
0: dancing. I need one of those rainbow tank tops with the black piping. They yeah. are fucking beautiful. Uh, they are, I want they one are of the black amazing. ones
1: with the butterfly on it.
0: I know what we're getting tomorrow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. It is kind of them to show us footage of the rehearsal, isn't it?
0: Well, I know what you mean, yes.
1: <laughs> yes. Many a BBC Christmas tape was infested with um, rehearsal footage of the young generation. I cannot for the moment think why. So we get a little... Um, we we clip back to the, uh, the two runs after this little dance number to help us uh, digest what we've just consumed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Back to what Blackout was saying. It is all about the one takes, isn't it? Cos Ronnie B, Ronnie B's been on the Sherry before he's coming I here. Think he really he has. has. And there were lots of marvellous presents around this year.
0: I gave my wife a pair of ankle warmers. Knickers without elastic. <laughs> yes, I, I gave my wife a, a joke like that. Yeah. i would say that again. I gave my wife a joke like that. A pair of run-resistant tights. Yeah. The legs are tied together. <laughs> <laughs> it works, it works. It works. <laughs> Do not know what's going on here. He starts fluffing his line in this link about Christmas presents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This went out on Christmas night. This isn't a live yeah. gig.
1: No. <laughs> yeah. do
0: you, like, was was money so tight that the director didn't want to reshoot it? Um, I I do get the impression that he was generally a loose performer, but that they edited that out for like the main Saturday Night Show. You know, he, mm-hmm. if anything, he would stop and go. Now nah, let's take that again. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is, yeah, he's just sort of shambling all over the place, as if he knows it's not going to go out. And then they went, no, we're using that.
1: We need the minutes. I'm pretty certain of that. And I just love the fact that when he's caught out with a fluff, there was a really over-loud laugh for the toilet seat wreath for, you know, someone you don't like. That all of a sudden put the match into the kindling that warmed up the audience finally but I did I did have to say I still wondered if there was something to do with industrial action because around this time everything was moving to colour right and you know not quite everything had got there even by 72 and there were lots of industrial action and and sort of lightning strikes because um the videotape engineers had to learn the new discipline of editing to time code and all the rest of that. So there was you know, there's every possibility that this was done and this was absolutely everything this shot that was usable stuck together.
0: That would make sense. If, yeah. it would make and, up. Yeah. <laughs> it's not all special. It gives me absolutely no pleasure to be picking apart Ronnie Barker's performance, but there we have it.
1: Indeed, it's just something we're not we're not used to. It's just yeah, something no, we're not exactly. This by this point, in fact, no, it was halfway through the the liver birds extract. I realised that if you did an acronym of Christmas Night with the Stars, it comes out as Kyn-Wutz, Um and it became that in the entire rest of my forty five pages of notes. <laughs> but this was the last Kungwutz, uh, and thereafter it was just full component Christmas shows. Do you
0: think they knew they were making the last one?
1: Possibly. Possibly they knew that, you know, well, nobody really watches it because everybody's getting faced on Sherry or Port. So maybe this was the writing on the wall and they knew it, so they just got ahead and did it. And, you know, it it just became... Maybe it's just people had the the family arguments and then, you know, buggered off out. So nobody was watching it. And speaking of nobody that was watching it, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Yarwood. I mean... (laughs) <laughs> it, it is it is documented that i've stood this man's corner i have stood this man's corner in the past You I loved and him converted a me uh, yeah i loved him as a kid
0: is that corner empty but now <laughs> I've,
1: I've 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 gone home
0: <laughs> this is mikey Yarwood and adrian Poster. so they they both kind of take the blame for this but it is you know it's 70% Mike Yarwood. he comes on doing like standard sort of shtick uh, is Larry Grayson and is Frankie Howard are very decent here yes the Frankie Howard is what you'd expect that's fine
1: Frankie Howard is always cracking he always yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. then
0: he's on to his stock and trade political impressions of the day to perform satire which is so pleased with itself that it feels like it's been written by a sixth former and signed off by everyone he's doing the voices of
1: it does feel like writing by committee
0: again I've got in my notes that he does so much sort of blue screen split screen stuff this clearly wasn't quick to film no, but unlike the goodies section, it still feels like he's making it up as he goes along.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. it does. Yeah, y- yes, it does. And there's nary a giggle from the audience here, mind.
0: No, of course there's not. I mean, <laughs> he hasn't got any jokes in it. Yeah. <laughs> he's literally just doing a voice.
1: But use a track. Use a track for the love of God. Yeah, Because yeah. there were awkward. There were literally awkward silences mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's. It, I was. I was lost with this. I was lost with this. And this. And the sing along. Oh, God, yeah. I. I could liquidise. Adrian Foster. (laughs) Yeah. That was horrific.
0: Yeah, it's not good. Really not good.
1: No, that was massively disappointing, that. I I was, I was gutted. Mm. I was gutted for him. You wanted to be good. You wanted to be good from everybody because that's what we were like as a television nation Mm. in the 70s, and not just in the early 70s, right through. It's like you wanted to support the BBC and ITV because they tried. They didn't give us what they thought we wanted they gave us what they thought they ought to offer and we yes. would like it. Mm. Yeah. And I quite like yes. that. Now, as a result of something deeply unfunny and disappointing, we then get a flash of something that's very satisfying and very happy, a very happy place for me, and that's Ronnie Corbett sitting in his chair. There he is, handling the audience with consummate skill. He has to, because they're comatosed at this point. <laughs> Trappist monks fucking Trappist monks
0: you have to yeah. bear in mind that audiences in front of him have not seen any of the pre-recorded segments this was all shot back in August <laughs> with the rest of it so you know yeah, he's basically the warm up for the two of them at the desk that we've already seen I think here but well, that purple yeah. cardigan is strong work
1: isn't it <laughs> <laughs> apparently it was red when they started filming
0: <laughs> and again just like you two I'm a big fan of Ronnie's monologues Um yeah I think it's fine. It's mm-hmm. an absolute natural in the performance. Again, I don't think the materials is strongest here. Um, it isn't.
1: To be fair, it isn't.
0: It almost doesn't. It almost doesn't matter. Especially bearing in mind what we've already seen. Um, it, yeah, and what we're it,
1: about to see. It's it's, well, it's yes. a
0: nice place to be. So that's fine. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. After after that, Ron. Before you
1: even mention who he's going to say, he does introduce the next act. Yes. and is it just me? Or does it look like those words will choke him? <laughs> I reckon he got a thread from his from his gansey um, caught in his throat, um, and she put it there deliberately. Well, I wonder. But who do I mean by "she," Doctor? Well, ladies and gentlemen, Silla Black. Here we go. Here we go again. Yeah. Okay, first question: Please What's, what's the woman got on? Mm. <laughs> I'll tell you what she's got on, half a fucking Blake 7 set.
0: It looks like a deflated souffle made out of used Christmas crackers.
1: <laughs> right.
0: I'm, he- I- I'm here for it, it's fine, but yeah.
1: i tell you what I'm not here for. It's her singing live, because if ever we needed Maimon, it's now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'll tell you what, it might sound like the Queen Mary's coming at the dock, but at least it's something in her range. I'm fine with it.
1: <laughs> Who's authorised this though? Bloody awful voice, bloody awful song, and I have written down what she actually sings as one line. And this is this is what I've got written down: My life depends on you. I think the word is you. So we're going to we're going to split hairs here, Pet. And I, the thing is, I think she's going to touch that belt and just vaporise, because it is something from Blake Seven. This is, this is not great, is it? Um, I put that I didn't mind the song, actually. Oh, I, I mind the song a lot because I would ex- I would have expected something maybe not festive, but just a bit fucking jollier.
0: I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. But, well, speaking of that, Corbett comes out for a bit of a conversation. He does. Um, which, it's... Again, which has been scripted, but definitely not rehearsed.
1: And now we get to... If you had to have a small bottle with the essence of BBC Light Entertainment Christmas 1970s, it's this song.
0: The scent I got from David Frost was super
1: As was the fez I got from Tommy Cooper From Tarbuck and his mates I got a box of dates, a picture of the Pope, came signed from both of us, Jesse Yates.
0: I got a new
1: LP from Des O'Connor. The hat from Hattie Jakes looked better on her. From Ronnie Barker, lots of Christmas pudding I got, with which she told me what I could do. For me, it was, I just thought it was topical funny, warm, and agreed. Yeah, it's absolutely
0: fine. It's exactly the kind of thing I would expect to see on this show. I can't complain about it, but I will.
1: And it was two verses, which is the perfect fucking length. After that, after Scylla, I absolutely needed a drink. Absolutely needed a drink. And so it would seem, does Ronnie Barker. Mm -hmm. Barker's solo sketch in -hmm. the show. Thoughts? Short and sweet, mind. He was rather rather good at things that were lists. Lists were always his thing because he was so good at them and it was like the finest Gilbert and Sullivan. He could actually just spin it and it was so beautifully said. You could understand every word and he was building up the laughs. Even if he didn't write it, he he Mm -hmm. acted Mm -hmm. it from a writer's point of view.
0: Again, it's definitely all in the performance here. Um, Mm -hmm. This entire sketch is only a minute and a half long. It's basically just him reading out a list of drinks over yeah. the counter and off license, um, it's just one joke. The entire thing is just one joke. It's basically harmless. It's fine. You know, it, it's a nice little bit of filler in between two things. Um, we've yeah. got Sally James on the other side of the uh, other side of the counter there. Indeed. How come oh, Sally yeah. James looks older there than she does on Tiz was almost a decade <laughs> later?
1: Because she's just listened to Sir Black. And probably it's experience <laughs> age as a person. You know.
0: So can we can we have something just that we nice like and safe? Actually, raise the game of this program, can we?
1: I'm pleased you've mentioned that because do you know what? Q Dad's Army, the sketch that saved the show. Beautiful. The only sketch that they ever show from this show whilst not crediting it actually having come from this show. The, the writing is the same standard as the episodes. This hasn't just been thrown together. Correct. Mm-hmm. Acting is it's the same act- level. Yeah. Ah acted so this very is, well with your disciplined performers. This, yeah, this has saved the show.
0: So this is broadcast to the Empire. This is a 12-minute short, at which point the uh, your main characters in Dad's Army have basically got to record an address on the radio that's going to be played on Christmas Day before the King's speech. That's it. That's your setup. It's just them lot standing around a microphone with a sound engineer who acts really badly, but that's fine. I might
1: add at this point that this is a Perry Croft staple because not yeah. only did it feature in Dad's Army, it featured in an ain't half hot mum and it also featured in Are um, You Being Served and, if I remember rightly, Heidi High. I've Been Served several times, yeah.
0: I can see the sketch format definitely working with an half hot mum and to a certain degree with Heidi High because, again, it's all about that putting on that performance. Um, That's right. And, again, they do, it's very... Straightforwardly done, where yeah. they all get their chance to stand forward, say a couple of lines, stand back from the mic oh. again. You know, it's very literal stagecraft, but it's just so well done. It's oh, yeah. absolutely it gorgeous.
1: And the thing I love above it all else is Clive Dunn saying, Tick eye Tie B O.
0: Tickety boo, yeah. tickety
1: boo. <laughs> It's just it's these little sparks. It's like electricity. You watch. You know they all know each other well. They've done this for years, and it's like the most smooth, well-protected format.
0: Yes, yes. They
1: can just do it, and they can do it easily and make people laugh without even thinking about it. And as you say, probably the sketch that saved the show.
0: Now, this hasn't got Private Godfrey in it. And it hasn't got the Reverend or the Verger in it either, but all of the other main characters are present and correct.
1: It's equivalent to being led Around a car showroom, and you've yes. had a look at all this this new flashy stuff, and then you get to the back of the showroom, and here's this beautiful old Rolls Royce. yeah the yeah, that purrs. Purrs. it purrs. It's a machine that
0: purrs. John Lemesure yeah, in this is fucking heavenly.
1: Indeed, I'll quote. I'll quote from him from this from this sketch. Oh, do you really think, sir? So? <laughs> um I've yeah, got to say when absolutely. they finally
0: bring Dad's army into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as I believe they're going mm-hmm. to, they need to <laughs> deep. To they need to deep fake him in. They can't like recast. They've got to just deep fake him. So they did they did four of these specials for Christmas night with the stars in sixty eight, mm-hmm. sixty nine, seventy and seventy two. Do you think they're canon in the overall continuity? I hope yes, so. I'd
1: like to think so. I'd like to think so. There's nothing like in there think, that sort so. of
0: suggests they wouldn't be.
1: And, in fact, if memory serves, from my minimal research, they are the only consistent inserts that exist from any part of the other three shows you mentioned. 68, 69, 70. So, following Dad's Army, gentlemen, we ended up with... um, Cunwuts continued with uh, a lovely little sketch featuring Ronnie Corbett as a sinister milkman. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah, who wrote this? This is... Darker than most of their material, isn't
1: it? It, Isn't it? I didn't like this.
0: There's an air of threat which runs through it, even even before we get like. It's basically a bit of an explainer. It's a milkman turning up. I'm assuming it's meant to be very early in the morning,
1: or in the middle of the Uh, night. Yeah,
0: it's Corbett. He wakes up Barker. He comes downstairs in his dressing gown, and he's basically there angling for a tip. Very sort of friendly, but again, in a very sort of threatening way. Yeah. And then a couple of his sort of heavies standing behind him, start trashing the place. It turns into you know sort of like a protection racket pastiche. A bit heavy handed in that. Um It's well enough done, but it doesn't really feel like the two Ronnies to me.
1: I think it's because you never ever associate Ronnie Corbett playing a nasty role. Well there's violence in it. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like it. It's not two Ronnies. This, oh, this of, for me. I've
0: seen him play like a couple of sort of gangster types in like their yeah, main but comedy sort of gangster show.
1: there's something more sort of insistent yeah. and quite quite yeah. unnerving about it
0: i think especially for something as light as a christmas show as well it's like what yeah did this exactly come
1: from? yeah yeah exactly uh, the really badly chosen and speaking of badly chosen whoever did the set design wants fucking slapon because why yeah. on earth why on earth would there be a light switch on a door frame except it was on a <laughs> bbc regulation flat
0: <laughs>
1: only you Yep. Only me, only you. Yep. But perfect. Unlike yeah. what follows it. Oh. Yeah. If only there was a switch for this.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the choir of St. Richard's with St. Andrew's School singing Away in a Manger. I can't really complain about this because, again, it's exactly the kind of thing that's been filling BBC Christmas schedules since the BBC started. That's fine. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. Kids' choirs, um, it wouldn't
1: be BBC Light Entertainment without them.
0: I'll tell, tell you what I did like. The fact that we've got 100 or so kids on the stage and we've also got a handful of very stern-looking teachers, chaperoning them, who are resolutely not fucking singing. It is amazing to watch them wanting to be on telly, but resolutely not doing a fucking thing. <laughs> and then, K- then, Scylla comes out.
1: Yeah. Doesn't she, though? Do? Oh, yes. Do you know who I was expecting to come out when it was the choirs?
0: Cliff. So then, yeah, Scylla's out singing yeah. Mary's Boy Child, which oh. is wearing Joseph's evening dress and sequin jacket of many colours, just to confuse <laughs> things.
1: Yeah. Bonnie M are down the corridor in TC5 yep. kicking the walls of the dressing room in because that's their song. Indeed. what, <laughs> what they're talking about. Indeed. They are going absolutely acka in their dressing room.
0: I mean, Scylla's got three fucking songs in this programme and it's not even hers. I don't know why we were so surprised that once she got to ITV, the gloves were off.
1: <laughs> the one thing is, I mean, yes, all right, Scylla. Yes, Christmas. Yes, festive fun. and We've seen that. You know, and you know this is seeing it in the context of a BBC show in Cunwoods, Yeah, um, but I'm still feeling like if it's going to end, it's going to have to end. Two Ronnie style with some late items of news.
0: So yeah, we're back with the two Ronnies. They're on the they're at the desk again. Home turf. Back on form. Back Lovely on form. bit of business to close out with.
1: Absolutely, which is what you need. And then the end sig. Now, yes, all right. Let's and somebody in a meeting has said, Why don't we use the twelve days of Christmas? Except by this point, why don't we use twelve days of Christmas? <laughs> um, except there's not enough credits to do all twelve days. So that they only get as far as six, and in the middle of the sixth one, there's these two massive drumbeats going boof boof. Now, I know the twelve days of Christmas, and I don't remember I remember twelve drummers drumming, but that's twelve. I don't remember the swans are swimming apparently being shot by 12 bore shotguns. Right? <laughs> and then it's a it's a tension deficit disorder because after the sixth day it just ends. <inaudible> <inaudible> <susp reinventing noise> Tish
0: fade. I like that the closing credits tell us which pantomimes that Ronnie Corbett, Lulu, Adrian Poster and Polly James are currently appearing in.
1: Yes, except Ronnie Corbett <laughs> appar- appar- apparently is currently appearing in Cinderella at the Bristol Bristol Hippodrome. <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. I imagine that his one was contractual, and then this sort of felt like they had to do with the others out of politeness because Corbett's the only one on the set. The rest all like pre-records. Yeah, um, it's either that or the BBC used that publicity as a way of wangling the fees down a bit,
1: possibly. Yeah, there's definitely been talks with agents there. Yeah. Morecambe and Wise did the best one in 76, and I think it was a Barry Cryer line. It wasn't Eddie Braben. And on the credits for the romp at the end, it says, due to the increasingly high costs of postage, Ernie Wise would like to wish all his friends and his wife Merry Christmas. That's right. (laughs) That's right.
0: Glorious. So without giving too much personal information away... Mm -hmm. This edition of Christmas Night with the Stars Was the last one to be aired After Ozzy Bognops was born Correct And it it had shut up shop Pulled down the shutters And super glued the padlocks By the time that Dr Velvet and myself Entered stage left Indeed (laughs) Do you think the BBC knew even then That they could not keep getting away with this While the Peggy Man Calamity Hour was on the planet
1: You're not wrong So As we reach the end of such a Such a trail My God Christmas Night with the Stars It has been. It's felt like a fortnight. It's true. (laughs) How many pegs are we going to clip on the news desk that the two Ronnies are sat at, Mr. Blackout?
0: Well, Christmas Night with the Stars does feel more like hard work than it should be. Uh, For the most part, it's basically fine. There are a smattering of great sections and more than a couple where you're safe to nip out to the toilet or put the kettle on. So it's probably the perfect entertainment for an evening where you're too stuffed and tipsy to be watching properly anyway. Seven out of nine.
1: I'm in full agreement. Seven as well. I love the idea of this, but it's like every selection box on Christmas Day. Some items in there you neither asked for nor would want even to save your life. By same token, the idea is tremendous. We couldn't have it today because there just isn't that standard of entertainer anymore. But nonetheless, swallow it down with a good dose of alcohol and this is a cracking night in. Mr Bognops. Well, ironically, I am in full agreement with both of you rather than being Christmas as Mr Nasty. Um, it would have been nine. It could have been more, given how much I simply am um, fully unconditionally in love with bbc 1970s light entertainment but this just wasn't quite good and consistent enough for me um but things you wanted things you didn't as you rightly say doctor people didn't really devote total attention to watch it maybe in surrey um but probably not in you know any further north of birmingham Um, However, if we're going to get into that sort of argument, I need at least three more bottles of Nailers port. Um, However, for me, um, yeah, it about hit the mark, but I could see why it was time to move on to just Christmas specials of main component shows. Seven out of nine. But the question on every celebrity's lips who have performed in this very show is Mr Blackout. How many steps will it take you to walk to an audition for young generation. As it's Christmas tomorrow, I'll do it in one. Thou kiddeth. Heavens to Murgatroyd.
0: Christmas Night with the Stars features a grating appearance by Neris Hughes, who's in 1978's Golden Gala TV special with... Peggy Mount.
1: You're having no practice tonight. You're well past your bedtime already. Brief and to the point. Concise Absolutely. and totally important.
0: What about yourself, Ozzy Bognobs? Also in one. Oh.
1: Christmas Night with the Stars featured some top-notch yelling by Lulu, who appeared on a 1986 episode of Woken, which also featured Peggy Mount.
0: I say thank you very much to Dolly and let's go to bed! Oh, strong work. Nice. Had to get the
1: Wagon link. Had to get the Wagan link.
0: Which leaves only our veritable Doctor Velvet. How many steps will it take you?
1: Well, the one and only Doctor Velvets, which is quite coincidental, because I also can do it in one. <laughs> Christmas Night with the Stars contains some excellent shenanigans featuring Clive Dunn, who was on a 1976 edition of Celebrity Squares, as was... Peggy Mount. Was that you, yo ho hoey? Do you know, that's what makes Christmas Christmas. And with that, so moments before I sink tits deep into a bath of melted (laughs) after-eights... Here's blackout with your socials.
0: Yes, thanks once again for bearing with us. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyMountPod at com, or we are at PeggyMountPod on Twitter. You can also find us by searching the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on the Facebook. Don't forget to go to PeggyMountPod.com and check out the show notes for this and all of our other episodes including those two exclusive ones we did which aren't on the main feed. They're there, look them up.
1: It's as simple as that. It really is. Thanks once again to Aussie Bognops for your Christmas contributions, my good man. Our studio is a poorer place without your wit. So there we are. Before we leave you this Christmas Eve, a thank you to you, dear listener, for listening to this and possibly other episodes. From all of us at the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour, have an immaculate Christmas. As is now tradition, we will be back on New Year's Eve for our Hogmanay special episode. So you are invited to see in the new year with us. Until then, keep listening and keep enjoying yourselves. And most importantly... Keep... Mountain! He's been on the sherry. (laughs)